Good morning. Good morning. And God bless you. Chapel of Change, family and friends, we welcome you to our series on the boiler room with a subject of prayer and consecration. Today we continue our series that we've been studying on, and we've been on a journey for this whole month of October. And if you missed last week's, we recommend that you go back and watch it, which we taught on consecrating ourselves, and the week before on raising a prayer altar, because every single week is actually connected to the next. You can go to our website, chapelofchange.org, under sermons. Today, uh, we are excited to teach on uh, how to disarm sinful appetites. Now, we believe in the power of prayer, and, uh, and we, we are excited, uh, and we come into agreement with the word of God. Amen? The Bible says in James 5.16, in the NLT translation, that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Supernatural power comes through prayer and consecration. And that's why we're teaching on prayer and consecration. Every single year in October, we celebrate our church's birth, which was when we planted the church, the month of October. Uh, this month is year eight. And so we are actually emphasizing a little bit more on consecration in addition to prayer, because we really believe that consecration is critical for every single Christian. It is both the starting point and the pathway toward holiness. And so last week is critical that you, that you make sure you listen to consecrating ourselves. We've been learning, we've been learning that as priests in the kingdom of God, consecration is absolutely critical. It's our hope through this entire teaching that God's people will step into greater uh, and deeper dimensions of holiness in order to fulfill our God-given call for this hour. Not for last year or last uh, season, but for now, for this season. And we believe that prayer and consecration will get us there. Amen. So today, again, we will learn on how to disarm sinful appetites. Now, one, one of the first things that we need to understand is that sin is a very clever operation orchestrated by Satan himself. The Bible says that he has schemes. He's a schemer and he's a strategist. In other words, we don't just stumble into sin. He studies us and then he lays out traps according to our weaknesses so that we can step into them and become ensnared. Sin seduces God's people to actually live a life offensive to God or to live a life that undermines the word of God. 
Uh, sin also takes advantage of our natural and normal appetites such as hunger, thirst, and sex and turns them into sinful appetites. So what's a sinful appetite? Well, it can be described this way. It's a desire to feel physical pleasure from sinful activity in order to satisfy the flesh. Again, a desire to feel physical pleasure from sinful activity in order to satisfy the flesh. It's also another word for lust. And lust is the very bait that Satan uses to enslave God's people. Now our foundational verse for today is found in the book of Romans chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. And I'm reading from the New King James Version which says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, Apostle Paul here was pleading with the church at Rome and with us today to not let sin reign in any part of our body. Because although we are a believer, sin can still try to rule in our body. He knew that if we yielded to sin long enough, we would become a slave to it. And eventually, it would open doors to abomination from one level to another. Insomuch that our own will would no longer be able to break it. Why? Because now a stronghold has been created. When believers start fornicating, for example and step into sexual immorality, they don't initially become bound by fornication. It doesn't happen instantly. Their own will can still influence that particular sin until, underline that word, until the spirit of fornication comes to assist them in this undercover operation of sin. Now, the Bible mentions all types of evil spirits, unclean spirits, also referred to as demons. And some of these are named personally, and some of them are described by their function. For example, there is legion, that was a personal name. Then there's the spirit of fear, the spirit of whoredom. Then there's deceiving spirits, lying spirits, and more that are mentioned in the Bible. In Romans 6.16, the Bible says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to who you obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. 
In other words, anything that you yield yourself to obey, you will eventually become a slave of. Now here is the question for today. How do we disarm sinful appetites? Well, here are some initial steps for us to take and some, some big, uh, good initial steps. Step one, we disarm sinful appetites by detecting sin's root. Now, sinful appetites have their roots in our soul and our body. Our soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our body has to do with our physical nature, uh, which is our body, our eyes, ears, mouth, hands, feet. And the Bible says in Romans 13, 14, Make no provision for indulging the flesh. Put a stop to thinking about evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires or lusts. Notice here that both thinking and physical nature involve our soul and our body. Thinking toward the soul and physical nature, our body. Now, thinking about sin actually impacts our soul and many times causes us to live it out with our physical body. Many of us, we don't think that there will be any effect, any impact or consequence if we just think about sin. But Jesus came and he said that whosoever even looks, now that's our physical nature, at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. Jesus took it from just the physical nature in the Old Testament to now the spirit behind the physical nature. And he said, even if we just look with our eyes and think about lusting, we've already committed adultery. Here's what the Bible says about our minds. In Romans 8, 5, and 6, the Bible says, For those who live according to the flesh, that's our body, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen, peace is amazing. Peace is sweet. Peace is what we will have when we walk in freedom. And that's what Jesus came to give you and I. But we have to actually pursue it. In other words, when Jesus came to save us, that word save didn't just apply to us going to heaven, but it actually means that he came to restore and to make whole through and through both spirit, soul, and body. It includes every aspect of our being, but we've got to engage in this process that leads to freedom. Now, there are different types of sinful appetites. Uh, in Roman, in the book of uh, 1 John 2.15, the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. 
Each of these deal with different types of appetites. And we must learn to detect their roots in order to disarm them. Now, there are also different levels of detecting sin. There's the surface level, and then there's the root level. Let me explain by an illustration. Here's a weed. It's kind of shriveled a little bit, and it's muddy. But I pulled this weed out of my backyard yesterday. And I thought it was going to just take a little while, but it actually took at least 45 minutes or longer. And because the soil was pretty hard, I had to put water to make the soil tender enough for me to be able to scoop it out. But the problem was that not only did I get myself dirty, but I also got myself muddy. And as I was sweating and shoveling, I came across something that I did not anticipate. I came across potato bugs, which are not nice. I came across worms. I came across pinch bugs. And I didn't like what I found down there. And every time I thought I was close to, to the root, uh, I would pull a little bit and found that it was still stuck in the dirt. So I had to keep shoveling and shoveling until finally I could wiggle it just enough to pull it out of the dirt. And I want to say this, my brothers and sisters. That that's how it is when it comes to our roots. There are no shortcuts. We have to be willing to put in the, the effort. Just like that weed that I showed you. You can only see the, the leaves or the fruit that this weed has produced from the surface level. What you can't see is the root because the root is still in the dirt. And that's why God calls us to actually pull it out completely. We want to be able to detect it so that we can not only uproot it, but remove it completely from our lives. Now listen, I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit is the great sin detector. But it's important that we give him our time and that we give him our openness in order to get to the root. If we don't, what will end up happening is we will continue wrestling with the same sin over and over again. Now, these are the questions that we should be asking the Holy Spirit. Why am I like this? Why am I doing this? Where is this coming from? Holy Spirit, show me the root. Now, for me personally, there was a time when I had the sinful appetite of dishonor. I dishonored my husband. Now, most of you know his testimony if you're part of Chapel of Change. But for those of you that don't, my husband shares often that he did 16 years in prison. I knew him before prison and I knew him after prison. And we were married and, and uh, I waited for him the entire time. But when he came home, I thought I was ready because I'd read a lot of marriage books, his needs, her needs, and all kinds of books. And I thought everything was going to be wonderful. And, and there was actually fireworks, but not the good kind. <laughs> These fireworks could have destroyed my marriage. What happened was I had this sinful appetite of dishonoring my husband. How? By using emotional manipulation. By complaining about everything I did not like. By having the attitude of my way or the highway. I was the breadwinner back then. 
and by actually preferring my own wants over his. Until one day I came before the Holy Spirit and I was honest and sincere and I said, Lord, I want to honor my husband. I said, show me how to honor him. And before he actually showed me how to honor him, he had to take me to the root of my problem. Now, what I described with this weed and what I described by what I was doing to dishonor my husband, you may be saying, yeah, that sounds like me. What is the root? Well, I'm going to tell you that you may have those same surface uh, uh problems or responses, but it does not mean that your root is the same as mine. My particular root was the root of entitlement. You see, I had this mental perspective that I had formed in my mind that I deserved to be treated like a queen because I waited 16 years for this man. I put money in his books. I, I sent, I, you know, I, I mailed him packages. I, I drove to see him uh, regularly. Uh, uh, and it took about three and a half hours just to get there one way. I paid for um, some of his attorney's fees and, and on and on. And I felt that I had a right to treat him that way. But when the Lord showed me what my root was, I'm here to tell you that God, through his power, led me through the process of completely uprooting that uh, entitlement and removing it completely. And I can stand here today with a clear conscience and say that I now honor my husband. That is my desire. That is what I do. And I'll tell you that I love him unconditionally. He doesn't owe me a thing. And if he never says thank you, I love you, good job for raising my kids, or a pat on the back, it's okay. He doesn't need to. I'm no longer expecting him to do that for me. Why? Because I now know who fulfills my need. I thank God. And that's what God wants to do with each of us for every single root that has taken place in our life. Now, step two is what I want us to really see, and that is by activating God's grace. There is supernatural grace made available by God. Grace is more than unmerited favor. It is enabling power. Grace is what God uses to provide power for you to disarm sinful appetites. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Bible says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Grace is what made Apostle Paul say, I am what I am by the grace of God. There was someone that, that Paul was without grace, and then there was the man he became with grace. Now, first thing I want to say is that we activate grace by coming to God's throne. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. At the throne of grace, we find power to disarm sinful appetites. But you have to come. You have to show up. We challenge the church. Raise a prayer altar on week one. Find a place to consecrate to the Lord where you can go deep in prayer with God. Have you showed up 
to the altar. We even offer various prayer gatherings. Have you been showing up? Let me say something that is very key, and I hope it gives us some insight. Our absence limits the grace we receive to disarm sinful appetites. Our, our absence, my brothers and sisters, we have to show up. If we don't, our absence will limit the grace of God that we need to disarm sinful appetites. In James 4, 8, the Bible says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Now, second and finally, we activate grace by humbling ourselves when we pray. This deals with our approach to prayer and our sin. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Notice grace comes through humility in this verse. So one way we humble ourselves is by grieving and weeping over our sins. That's right. James 4, 9 in the Amplified Version says that as we Draw near to God, be deeply penitent, which means sorrowful, and grieve, even weep for your sins. We weep because we sinned against God. Yes, that very sin that Jesus died for, many times we seem to enjoy it and want to hold on to it. But we've got to come to a point where we weep and even begin to hate it. And say, Jesus, let me love righteousness and hate this sin. And these tears won't flow by themselves. We've got to show up to the prayer altar and we've got to say, cause me to weep and to hate this sin. Let me weep. And if we don't weep on day one we come back the second day help me to weep help me to weep and the third day and the fourth day and that week and the next week and that month we've got to say God make me weep cause me to weep and let me tell you you keep coming and you keep showing up and God will see that you mean business and the tears will begin to eventually flow and you will actually begin to experience this hatred toward the very sin that Jesus came to set you free from let me say that that is how it happens. There's no shortcuts. Now, one final way that we humble ourselves is by actually feeling heartfelt shame over our sins. Let me explain. Whatever our sins were in the past, when we came to Christ and repented of, are done and gone. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the current ones, the ones that we are living and enjoying today. Those are the sins that we need to experience heartfelt shame over. In James 4, 9, the Bible says, let your laughter be turned to grief and to heartfelt shame for your sins. Listen, church. We've got to stop laughing and start crying. We've got to start repenting and getting to the throne of God's grace. God is waiting to meet us there 24-7. He's not like man. He doesn't close his doors. He is open, willing, and ready to help you and I. No matter how often or how necessary, he says, come. Let me close by saying this. In Joel 2, 12 through 13, here, God is referring to the children of Israel. And he's saying this to you and I, even today as his children. He's saying, turn. That means repent. Turn to me now. 
while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. And let them pray, spare your people, O Lord. Spare us, O God. Help us. We need your help. We need you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'm going to pray for us, and I pray that you wrap your heart around this prayer. And wherever you're at, bow your head, and let this be your prayer. Father, we come before your throne of grace in Jesus name you said you give grace to the humble we humble ourselves before you today and ask for your help we want to obey you in every area of our life we yield ourselves to you today search us thoroughly oh God and know our hearts try us and know our thoughts examine our mind our will and our emotions examine our eyes our ears our mouth our hands and our feet we are sorry that we use our eyes to commit adultery we are sorry that we use our ears to hear slander we are sorry that we use our mouth to insult people we're sorry we used our hands to touch what was off limits. We're sorry we used our feet to walk in the way of wickedness. Help us to detect the root of every sinful appetite in our life so that we may uproot them and remove them. We need your grace, your enabling power to help us, for we are in need. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Church and friends, God bless you.